that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for reading that. Thank you, team, for serving so many of you this morning. Good morning, church. Thank you for showing up on a Seahawks Sunday. Proud of you guys for making it this week. The NFL season doesn't really start till tomorrow night anyways. And so, uh, <laughs> well, that was an audible, genuine groan. That wasn't even a chuckle. That was like a sigh of disbelief. And so let's just shake that off for a second here. and We'll get going. Uh, a couple things as we get rolling here. Uh, first off, we have a first-time visitor today by the name of Harrison Alsberger. He is, where is he at? Is he down there chilling? Yeah, how many days old is he today? One week and two days old. So, Michael and Kimmy, congratulations on little Harrison. I am uh, proud of you for growing the church and uh, great job. <laughs> Very excited to have little Harrison in his first service today. And so, uh, it's, I'm excited today. We begin our very first series. I've been here now about two months, and one of the questions I get often. Uh, when I meet folks and when we start talking about church, people ask me, so do you preach series, Pastor Mike? Do you preach topics, Pastor Mike? Do you preach through books of the Bible, Pastor Mike? How do you preach, Pastor Mike? What do you do? And you know what my answer is? Yes. My answer is yes. I do those things. I do all of those things, and I do all those things because we learn differently and because also all of those things are very relevant to helping us take the truth and the word of God and apply them to our lives. And so we are launching into our very first series, and uh, I'm excited to do this, and we are going to walk through the book of First John. We're going to go line by line. We're going to dive into the word. We're going to go deep. We're going to hear what John has to say to us. And so for the next several weeks, we'll be walking through that. And then after that, we're going to go into a series that is topical. And we're going to tackle this topic of margins and how do we have healthy margins in our lives. And then after that, we're going to get to Christmas time and we're going to do something else. And then after that, we're going to get to January. We're going to talk about values. Then after that, we're going to get into another book of the Bible. And we're, going to, we're just going to continue on this journey to grow and go. And uh, gather. I missed that part. But uh, <laughs> but I'm excited for that. And so if you're here with us, and this is one of your first times here with us. I am so glad that you're here because you're going to get a lot of your questions answered today. You're going to find out who we are as a church, what we believe, where we go, how, how we do things. It's going to be amazing. You could not have picked. And you're here on the first day of a new series. So you know what's going on just as much as everybody else knows what's going on. So congratulations. You made it on a fantastic day. If you've been with us for a long time, Today, I really believe, is going to be the start of God doing some new challenges in our lives to get us ready for the next season of what he's going to do. So I couldn't be more excited as we walk.
back into the book of First John. What Andrew read there was uh, chapter 1 of First John. And so if you have a Bible, you can get it out. If your Bible's on your phone, um, you can get your phone out. If you need to be checking the scores all service long, you can keep your phone out. If you need to text someone who's watching the game and tell them they're missing the better live show and they should have gone DVR on the game and live with Jesus and you just want to give them that moment, you know, you can do that. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be on the podcast and everyone's going to be listening to that like, oh, he's talking to me. I'm teasing. I love you guys. Watch the game. Have fun. I'm glad you're listening. Anyways, <laughs> as we get diving in here, I want to talk a little bit. Context matters. And so I want us to understand what's happening as we dive into this book of First John. Here's how I know um, context matters. If I say um, I really hope that tomorrow night the 49ers kill him. Right? I'll be speaking of faith. We're talking about them playing the Vikings, right? But, but okay, let me back it up. I really, I really don't mind if to this morning the Seahawks kill them, right? You know what I'm talking about because you have the context that there's a football game happening today. But if someone somewhere else in the world listens to this podcast and they don't know who the Seahawks are and they hear me say, I really hope that the Seahawks kill them, they don't have the context. They may interpret that information in a whole different way and that may not make sense to them at all and so context matters so it matters as we get into the first book of the bible that we're going to walk through together the, the book of first john that we have a little bit of context who is john and who is he writing to and why is he writing and when is he writing and where is he writing and what's going on now i can spend our entire morning just getting through that don't worry we're not going to just spend the whole entire morning getting through that but it is important that we spend a little bit of time and just kind of understand what's happening in this book and so john uh what i love about john is at this time in his life uh church history says uh and calls him like the beloved apostle but also the aged apostle so john is in his twilight years when he writes this book he is most likely living in ephesus and has left left lived in ephesus for a long time uh we know ephesus is a church where paul planted uh, a city where paul planted a church church history tells us this is most likely all the early church history documents believe that this is the apostle john that wrote this that it's his hand most likely that wrote this although some would say that uh highly possible that he dictated this information he's in his twilight years most historians agree that john lived about 60 almost 70 years after the cross. He was the, the, on the earth the longest of all the disciples. He was probably fairly young when Jesus called him and said, come and follow me. He could have been around 16 years old when he took that step of faith and did that. And so at this point in his life, it's helpful to understand as we read these words that John is a little bit older now. And I like to just kind of, as I, as I read this and understand his tone, Maybe you can help me out with this. I think sometimes we hit a certain age and we don't mind just saying what we need to say. We're no longer quite as concerned about how everyone else may feel about the information. We're more concerned that they get the true information that they need. You kind of dial it in with me on this. And so there's some things that John is addressing that he uses very strong language. Multiple times in this book, he's going to say, if you say this, but you do this, you're a liar, right? You can't say one thing and do the other. That's incongruent. That's a lie. If he says, he, he uses, for example, he says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, those two things aren't consistent. Guess what? You're a liar. You can't do both those things consistently. Something's inconsistent. And so he's speaking to a church that has sprung up as a result of what he saw and what he communicated and him and his, the other disciples in the early uh, church all believed. And he's saying, hey, there's some things that now you have to understand. And, and, and there's a paternal voice, kind of a papa bear voice, right? When dad kind of says, listen, guys, we got to get this right. There's a firm, stern voice that says, hey, you think you can do this or it said this and you keep saying this. But these two things aren't consistent now. It would uh, be insincere if I didn't at least let you know there were some specific philosophies that he's battling. 
some specific things that he's battling. And what's amazing is some of those things are still in the world today. And so one of the philosophies that he was battling was the idea that Jesus was not both fully God and fully man. He's battling that. There is an idea that in this uh, Greek culture, they've been adapted some, uh, some Eastern mysticism ideas and their Greek philosophies. And then they basically just said this peasant who was a carpenter who has this massive following named Jesus. How do we incorporate this idea because this movement's happening into what we already believe? And so they kind of were doing this thing where it's like we already believe this and Jesus. And, and John is saying, hey. No, 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 just Jesus. And so there's this battle. And one of the specific battles, and you have to kind of understand this to know where we're going, is that they would say that Jesus didn't have a physical body, which seems, you know, if you've never heard this philosophy. And the reason was that my physical body isn't perfect. And since my physical body isn't perfect, my spirit can be perfect. And so my Jesus could have only been a spirit because there's no way he could have had a physical body. This is what their line of thinking was. And so what's interesting is they would have said, like, Jesus didn't leave a footprint when he walked. You know, he was like just a spirit and he was here and he was present. Or one of the other philosophies was he was like a spirit that came and uh, invaded a person's body uh, and that it wasn't actually Jesus in the flesh. Okay. So John's hearing some of these things now here's what's really interesting in that time it was no problem to accept that jesus was a god and in the greek culture there were tons of gods it was no problem it was hard to accept that he was a man now this is interesting because we're some two thousand years later and we can look at history and not have a difficult time saying well jesus was a man who lived the real question is do we agree that he was god that's the real question so, so the argument has kind of shifted over the course of 2,000 years that we're having with culture and having with the world. But John's statements are equally true no matter where you stand on that argument. So here's John, and he's walking into this area. Now, here's what's so amazing. John, he's probably in his twilight years, somewhere between 60 and 80 years old. He's writing this letter, and he doesn't write it specifically to one person. He didn't say, dear so-and-so or dear church at so-and-so. It's actually written kind of like a homily, kind of like a sermon. It's kind of just written as a, here's what's up with Jesus, and here's what's up with walking this out in the world. And some, some historians will even believe that this was like added as a cover letter to his gospel to kind of prepare you for reading the gospel account of what it was like to live with Jesus. Now, here's what's amazing as we get into John's shoes. This is a person who literally walked with Jesus. The scriptures tell us that he was one of three that were especially close in Jesus' inner circle. I don't know about you, but I get I even get just chills just thinking about what it must have been like. John knew what Jesus smelled like. Right in a crowded room, John could pick out Jesus's voice. When Jesus's silhouette was in the door, John could as a frame of reference. That's that's the guy. That's Jesus. He was here's why I really love John, because in his in his gospel, when he writes about walking and living with Jesus, he always refers to himself in third person. He never says I, but he also doesn't say. And then John, the, the, the name that he gives himself. And I, to me, this is amazing. He says the disciple that Jesus loved. In third person, that's how he refers to himself. So I can get behind John. I love that because if I had the opportunity and I was in his shoes, I don't know that I could have possibly come up with a better way for all of history to remember my interaction with Jesus than just think about me as the guy that Jesus loved, right? I'm like, that is an amazing way to, to just tell the story. So I smile and I love John. I love his voice. I love the way he tells the story. I love that he lived long enough on the earth to have experienced the waves of church growth to see how Roman culture and the Greek thinking kind of invaded that and to say, hold on, everybody. This is what I saw and this is who I know and this is what we experienced. And I touched his flesh. I smelled his breath. I beheld him. I knew him. And this is now here's the power of historical accounts, right? Whenever we're testing historical veracity, and I could get lost in this with you, but but one of the critical things we look at is the person who documented this an actual eyewitness account or did they hear it from someone else? 
and then they wrote it down? Or did they hear it like a legend after several years and they finally wrote it down? But in this particular account, this, this account stands up to historical test of veracity and truth because we know that John was on the road. John's sandals touched the same dirt. John was there present. John had conversations. John was at the cross. Jesus spoke to John and said, take care of my mom. That's who John is. So when we get into this story, that's the voice that we hear. I was there. I took care of moms. I took care of the church and the bride of Christ. And now I want the church to know. That despite all of this tension and all this outside influence and all these different things we're trying to justify and think is okay, isn't okay, here's who Jesus really is and what he did. That's amazing. If that doesn't stir in us a, an a attentiveness to this voice, I don't know what will. And so, so I, I want us to know that because we're going to get into how John does that. The other one last thing that is really critical for you to know as he's talking to these uh, these early church gatherers who have begun to kind of just immerse cultures with the world. There are two really strong lines of thought that he's battling. One of those lines of thought, because they didn't agree whether or not Jesus was really God in a bod, right? He really showed up in a body. Come on now. Whether they agreed that Jesus really was that, they would say two, they would go two extremes. They would say either one, because I believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter at all what my body does. Because Jesus' spirit, my spirit's connected to his spirit, so I can just do anything else I want. That was one of the lines of thought. The other line was the other extreme, right? My body is evil, and everything it wants is evil. So I have to, you know, I have to uh, debase my body and, and treat it poorly. And there was actually, this is insane, but historically... Uh, it's rude for me to go that far. This is strange, right? <laughs> but historically, they would consider it like a monk, an early church follower of Jesus, that, that they were more spiritual, more holy, the more debased their body were. So if they, the more lice on their head, the more dirt that they were, uh, they were immersed in, the, the, the fouler they had treated, though they must be more spiritual and closer to, because they've debased their body at a higher. And so John's like, whoa. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I touched him and I embraced him and I walked with him and I smelled him and I heard his voice. And let's figure out what this story is really about. So let's walk through 1 John. And if you cheer randomly, I'll understand that, you know, somebody scored a touchdown, but I'll just believe that it's for the word of God this morning. And so, so we're going to dive into 1 John. Yes. And he, he introduces the letter like this. And I'm going to take us through what Andrew just read. He said that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched. We proclaim concerning the word of life. He's just being clear. I touched it. I saw it. I smelt it. I was there. I dealt it. Um, some of you, I lost you there. We proclaim to you which we've seen and heard, verse 3, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He was there. I saw it. Verse 5, he begins to get into the message. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. Catch this. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Here comes the first big old swing. If we claim we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness we lie and we do not live by the truth. Woo! Big swing right off the bat. If you claim that you're in relationship with Jesus, but you're living your life in the darkness, you're not telling the truth. Those two things are inconsistent. Those two things are inconsistent. I was thinking about the power of light. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I was a knucklehead, and uh, I was probably a senior in high school and i had a amazingly beautiful girlfriend who i would do anything to constantly impress i later married that gal she's sitting right here in the front row and i was desperate to constantly prove both my amazing manliness and abilities and whatever it took to constantly be impressive and so we plotted me and my crew of buddies that we were gonna uh 
I won't say lure. We were going to convince our gals to meet us out at this reservoir, this uh, lake that was kind of like a community lake thing, at like 1 in the morning when everything was closed off. And we were just going to hang out out there. And then we thought, oh, we'll just do, you know, crazy things to impress them. And so we do. We're all out. It's, you know, it's four hours after the park closes, I'm sure. Uh, it's the pitch dark of night, and there's a dock. We, I mean, we're hiking through these toolies and stuff to get out to this little dock on the lake, and we're diving, and we're jumping off, and we're being knuckleheaded guys that are just trying to impress girls, and all those kinds of things are happening. And, no, no, you know, nothing nothing too negative. Uh, any teenagers in here don't do this. This is knuckleheaded. But, uh, you know, we're just, we're just out there doing that. And one of the guys, I won't say who, says, I bet I can swim across this whole lake. Now, not all of us were like professional swimmers, okay? But we're all professional men. So no one's going to be the one guy in front of all the girls who's going to say, no, I can't swim all the way across this lake. You've got to remember, it's like probably 1.32 o'clock in the morning. This is pre-cell phone era. It is pitch black out there. It could not be any darker, okay? So we decide, sure, why not? That sounds like a good thing to do. Now, none of us have ever actually done this before or have any clue how far this lake really is across, right? But we can swim across a lake. Sure. That's a thing that guys do. So we jump in the water. We hand all our stuff off to the girls. We're like, you guys hike around and meet us on the beach. We'll shout. We'll find you. Okay, great. So we start swimming across. Now, this isn't like a, hey, you know, Ryan and Marshall, you guys will we'll, we'll hang out together and we'll kind of swim as a group across there, right? This is a, we are men and I will not be last. <laughs> all right. And so I jump into the water. I'm a strong swimmer in the sense of, you know, I'm comfortable in the water. But I never, you know, I didn't take a swimming lesson after like age eight. So I'm not pro, okay? And I have never swam distance before at this point. And uh, so anyways, I get out there, and it's everything I got right out the gun, right? And I'm, I'm just going. Like, I don't, there's not a thought in my mind other than don't be last, don't be last, don't be last, right? And I'm just pushing, 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 pushing. And all of a sudden, this weird thing happens to me. Like, my lungs start burning. And my legs start kind of tightening up. And I'm like... I hadn't thought this, this through very well, had I? I got out there, and I'm like, Ooh. so finally I kind of, I, I, I brace myself, and I, I dog paddle for a second, and it occurs to me, it is dark as all get out. There is not a sound or a thing to give me any frame of reference. I could have been for maybe 15 minutes swimming in circles, and I would have no idea where I'm at. And, and this little panic gets in me. And I may have made a noise. I'm not exactly sure. I will not fully admit to what the noise was. But something came out of me enough that another guy who was swimming heard it and was like, hey, are you okay? Right? And so he caught up to me. He was behind, of course. Um, <laughs> and he's like, are you okay? And, and so in my manliest voice, I said, I don't know where I'm going. In my deepest, manliest, you know, voice. And, and he kind of dog paddles for a second. And we're looking around. And we're, I mean, we're just in a lake. It's two in the morning, and I don't even know where the other guys are. And I can't hear anything or see anything. It's just pitch black. And then out of the, the, the corner of, of his eye, he points out. He goes, look, there's a little red light over the bathroom. You see where it is? And the moment I had light, it was like air rushed into my lungs. And I was like, okay. It's like forever away, but I know where I'm going. And I rolled over and I back floated for like 20 minutes <laughs> until I got to the light. But there was something powerful. Light conquered darkness. It pushed out fear. It gave direction. It gave purpose. It inspired. It illuminated what otherwise would have been a desperate situation. There's power when light comes onto the scene. And John says, you've got to understand that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. And you cannot live a life that is in the light and have darkness. The two things can't exist together. Now, here's the problem. He's pointing out there are two types of people who say they have a relationship with Jesus. There's some that live in the light and there's some that still have some darkness going on. And we know this as we think about it. and We say, OK, in our lives, there's times in our lives where we were if we were to be totally honest, we would say, you know what, God? Here's the area I don't really want you to mess with. And I'm in, 
but I'm going to go ahead and keep this part over here kind of off the radar. He's saying that's incongruent. If you say you're really in fellowship with Christ, yet you still hold on to some darkness, this is John's word. He's like, that's a lie. That's not true. And you think you're lying to everybody else, but the reality is you're lying to yourself and you're you're lying to God. He's like, you have to understand that light came into the world and God is light and it gets into our hearts and it gets into our lives and it forces us to deal with things. Light causes us to live openly before God. Now, here's the thing. This is why this is important, guys. Because when we have darkness still hanging around in our lives, when we are denying that light access to places in our lives, when we have stuff we're still holding on to, decisions, secrets, things that are hidden, you know what happens? It breaks relationship. It breaks relationship. We can't have intimacy and have secrets that we even, you know, we know the other person knows, but we're still holding that back. Think about those of you that are married. You know that doesn't work in a marriage, right? You can't have a secondary life, a secondary thing that you don't share openly, a season of things. And so what happens when we try to live with Jesus, with God, but we hold on to darkness, the relational things start going away. You know what affects first? Affects our worship. Because worship is relational. And I can't, I can't say, God, here's everything I am for you. Here's me returning to you the love that you gave to me. I can't do that if I have darkness still hanging around in there. It affects prayer. Prayer is relational, right? I can't be exposed. I can't be honest. I can't get into the presence of God. When, when David says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart, he's saying, you've got to deal with the stuff that's in here first to get into the presence of the Holy One. And John's like, hey, i got to be honest. I don't have that much time left. If you think that this relationship with Jesus can be compartmentalized, how do you compartmentalize light? You can't do it. God's light, and it illuminates our hearts, and it illuminates our lives, and it exposes the things that we want to keep separate. And if we continue walking in darkness, John says, mm, that's not honest. That's not honest. How many marriages, how many relationships, how many leaders fallen, stumbled, devastated? Why? Because they had just areas of darkness that they wouldn't, they wouldn't let the light shine in there. Just wouldn't let it in. Wouldn't deal with it. Knew it was there. Wouldn't deal with it. If we claim, verse 6, to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie. We don't live by the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship, check this out, with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Wait, what? What? That's pretty gnarly language. If you haven't kind of grown up in church circles, you probably haven't heard that kind of language before, that the blood of Jesus is a purifying agent. And so there's a lot of ways to to look at that information. But let me just give you a very simple illustration that will help you understand that blood is a purifying agent. Okay. so if you take your left hand and just kind of hold it up like this and then take your right hand. And squeeze your wrist tightly. Don't squeeze your neighbor's wrist. Just squeeze your wrist tightly. And then kind of close your hand and open it a few times. And hold that, hold that there so the blood kind of gets out of there. And then you release it and let it go. And then the blood kind of begins to start. You know what happens when you choke out the blood is toxins begin to build up immediately. See, blood moves all of the things in our circulatory system around. It moves things to our kidneys, to our lungs, to, to all of the ways. And so blood is a purifying agent. That metaphor is true. Not only did his literal blood accomplish what it needed to accomplish to purify our lives, but blood is a purifying agent in our bodies. And so John wants us to understand that that purification happens because why? Jesus. Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I gotta, uh, I'm just going to keep moving because this is going to get complicated. So it says, verse 8, this is amazing. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he just says we've got to walk in the light. This is confusing, right? We've got to walk in the light so that we don't have sin. But then if we claim that we don't have sin, we're liars anyways. 
So awesome. Thank you, John, for this. Verse 9. This is the whole thing in a nutshell. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word has no place in our lives. I want to start on that. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, the word for sin there is a noun. A person, place, or thing. In a little bit, he's going to talk about sin as a verb, something we do. But it's a noun, a person, place, or thing. And so basically he's saying, if you claim that inside of you, sin, a noun, person, place, or thing, the thing of sin doesn't exist, you're a liar. That sin nature is part of what we were all born with. If you claim that you didn't get one of those in the process, that you don't need Jesus' help because you don't sin and it's not inside of you, you are deluded. That's not true. He's like, that actually is a thing. It's something we all experience. It's delusion to think that way. I was thinking about the last time I know I was clearly deluded. It happens to me from time to time, but this time I was clearly deluded. I was uh, on this adventure of church planting, and I had quit my job and moved into this small home, and, and uh, I began putting applications together, and I was looking for a new job. And I had this idea in my mind. Now, I wouldn't have said it this way, but I would have thought it this way. Somebody's going to be so lucky to get me working for them, right? They're going to see my resume. They're not even going to want to interview me. They're not even going to want me to go in for the position that's posted. As soon as they meet me, I'm going to run this thing for them, and it'll be the best thing that ever happened to them getting to know me. Somewhere in there, I might have been a little deluded. It was the summer of 2008, or the Christmas, the, the winter of 2008, and the job market was zero. And so for eight months, I constantly built myself up, got into an environment where I tried to connect with someone and get a job, and then my delusion would get crushed. I wasn't necessarily God's gift to every employment opportunity, not, nor should I have been gifted those by the nature of being in God's will. I was deluded a little bit, and eventually I needed some counseling and someone to, like, help me understand, you know, that I was still worthy even if no one wanted me as a job, right? Like, like I went from one end of the delusion to the other end of the delusion that maybe I have no value. Like, I am so valuable to no value, and some of you can connect with going through that, uh, that, whole, that whole deal. But, but uh, John is saying we got to be self-aware that we all started from a position of weakness and dependence, and light had to come in. If you pretend that you are not, then you're not being honest. You're not being self-aware. You know, unfortunately, as he goes on to say, you know, in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in, his li- in our lives. I think that I'm going to be hard here a little bit. I think that unfortunately, I'm going to just say in churches across the nation, we do what he just said don't do. We claim everything's okay. Right? How many superficial conversations will happen this morning between church folks? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Same. What's going on? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? Same. Right? Oh, is everything going well? Oh, my family's going amazing. Oh, that's great. How are you? Same. Maybe same, but just a little better. And we have these insincere, untrue, unauthentic conversations Time after time after time after time after time. And why? Why not? We do it everywhere else. We do it on Facebook. Here's this angle of me that's not true. It's not what I really look like. I put the camera over here. I get it on Photoshop. I color in some more hair. I take my chin out. I fade everything, you know, kind of. And I do some, you know, photo things. And I'm like, man, who's that model on your Facebook page? Right? Why? Because we want to present a certain way. We're dishonest. We're not authentic. We're not true. And John's saying, hey, it's okay. We all got the same cards. We were all born with this nature that was at war inside of us. Now, this sin that existed inside of us, it's okay to not start from an okay position. It's okay that you're not okay. And we can be authentic and we can be real. And we can't just lie and say everything's okay. I think sometimes you have to hit a certain place in life where you kind of begin to just go, I'm tired of pretending that everything's okay all the time. It's exhausting. 
either you shut everyone out because you can't handle anyone actually knowing that you're not okay, or you just break. Yeah. Seahawks scored. <laughs> oh, man. I actually had a conversation. I actually had a conversation. I don't remember who it was with. Maybe you're in here today just recently about, you know, I've been talking about trying to go to the gym and and someone asked me what gym i was at and i said which one because it's close to my house and and the the response they gave was beautiful it was perfect they said oh i walked in there but there were just too many beautiful people i don't want to go there and i was like man i am messing the curve up at this place i gotta hurry up and get in shape i didn't realize i was a place where only beautiful people could be i gotta work on some things here so i can get into that you know but that's the thing we have this mentality about church the same way oh i go in there but everybody there has got you know things together and my stuff's not together Right, everybody there's life is beautiful. My life's not beautiful. I can't get into the fellowship with the body because my stuff, you know, I can't. Uh, I got too many things that I can't put in the light and deal with. And John's like, no, no. And then we do other things. We deny, we deny, we deny. So we start micromanaging our mistakes and trying to justify them. And here's what it ends up looking like. Things like, well. Yeah, I take some supplies at work from time to time, but I also work extra time that they don't put on my time card, so it's probably a what? What? Right? Well, you know, I have a temper, and every once in a while it's like, and it blows. But you don't understand, my dad had a temper, and I always, you know, everybody in my family has a temper, and so it just kind of, that's just kind of how I do things. Wait, what? We blame, we deny. We shift responsibility. We say, I'm walking in the light. I just have this other stuff. But here's why that other stuff is that way. My taxes, right? They get enough, right? So I'm not real. Who am I? Okay, I'll stop there. for No one wants to make eye contact with me all of a sudden. So, so here's the thing. Okay, one more. I'm not gossiping. I'm just being honest. Okay, I'll back up. That's why verse 9 is the best news we could hear. That's why verse 9 is so critical. Because we don't have to hide it. We don't have to play the blame game. We don't have to do like Adam and Eve did right off the beginning when God said to Adam, what have you done? And he says, that woman that you put here with me, she bade me eat. Right? I mean, we learned early on. Something's going down. We just look for the nearest reason and excuse. John's like, that's not what we do when we have fellowship with Jesus. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I just want to give us a very short, I mean, I, I want to get done. So, But the idea of confessing essentially, if you want to just make that make sense in in your paradigm, confessing is just saying, God, I agree with you. You call this a sin, I call it a sin. You call this rebellion, I call it rebellion. You call this anger inappropriate, I call it anger inappropriate. And I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn from this. Confessing is just, I agree. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm done denying it. I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to align with you. You say this is what this is. I, now, here's, here's, can I, here's where this gets heavy, okay? So for some of us, we've been having this sense of, man, there's just a, a distance between me and God. And, and, and John's articulating brilliantly that there's a, a lot of us that try to walk a duality of I still have some darkness, but I'm connected to the light, and that that's not honest. And here's how that begins to break. You want to know how to begin to break that? When you pray, again, this is intimacy, so you've got to get into the presence of God. So there's some risk and some exposure. Having a simple conversation with God that says something like this. God, would you just reveal in my heart if there's anything in there that isn't okay? And then you listen. And you wait. And you let the Spirit speak to you. And you see if all of a sudden it doesn't start to click. You know, I probably handled that situation wrong. Man, I don't want to apologize, but I probably need to apologize. Man, it's been a long time since I did that, but you know what I didn't do? I never made that right. It's been, ooh. That's what confessing does. It says, God, you have permission that when you call something rebellion, when you call something sin, I'm going to agree with you. 
And we're going to have fellowship, genuine fellowship, because I'm going to, I'm going to understand that that light gets to get into all those areas. First John chapter two, he finishes his thought. He says, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, so he knows he's like, I write this to help you not do this. But if you do, we have one. And this is, oh, this is so powerful. We have one who speaks to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Are you kidding me? This is legal language, right? This is we got a lawyer. And he is up there articulating our case. Not only is he articulating our case, when we are found guilty for what we should be found guilty for, he actually then did the time, paid the price, so that at the end of our case being articulated, we can be found not guilty, though we were guilty. That's amazing. That's why the gospel is called good news. Do you understand that? That is good news. That though I have to be honest... And say, oh, you call this inappropriate, I'm going to call this inappropriate. You call this sin, I'm going to call this sin. You call this divergence from your plan, I'm going to call this. Oh, then Jesus comes in and says, yeah, but that's my kid. That's our kid who I love. I paid the price for them, and their righteousness has nothing to do with themselves, but what I accomplished on their behalf. John's like, that's how that works. Now, I love this legal language because the legal language, it, it permeates the New Testament. It permeates the scriptures. It comes out time and time again. This idea that, that, that the price has been paid, that there was a payment, that there was a cost, that there, there was a consequence, and that it's been done. I'm going to take you just quickly to how Paul says it because I love how Paul words in it. It ties right back into this. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, uh, Paul says this, verse 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins, you're living in darkness, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. That's what John's talking about, the same thing. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having, listen to this, canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and it stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And catch verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, and he triumphed over them by the cross. Now, you've got to understand how hot this topic was. For him to say this was amazing because they knew what a public spectacle was. We don't think about a public spectacle like we think, I don't know, maybe a flash mob or, you know, something, something that we just see on the news. And it's like, oh, someone, you know, embarrassed themselves, humiliated themselves, bathed themselves, whatever it is, right? But a public spectacle was a specific thing in this culture. When the Roman army defeated someone when they go up and they fight the Gauls or they fight the Thracians they fight somebody they defeat them right they would they would wipe out the army and then they would keep whoever the highest ranking official that they could keep alive was they would keep that person alive and then they would parade that person they would march them all the way back to Rome they would strip them they would beat them they would hurl insults on them and then they would parade that person through town and then everyone in Rome would come out they would line the streets and they would throw vegetables they would throw rocks and they would they would say Rome is victorious and you have failed. You are defeated. Your people are enslaved. And, and this is what a public spectacle was. Caesar is great. Caesar is one. Rome is one and you're defeated. And here's Paul saying, that's what Jesus did to sin in your life. He took it and he debased it. And he said, you're powerless. You have no authority here. You don't get to control my people. You don't get to dictate the terms of their life. You don't get to dictate the destiny of their life. I have been victorious because of what happened where? On the cross. Are you kidding me? That is good news. That is incredibly good news. And they would have understood that picture. Verse 14, he says, and having canceled out the certificate of debt. I got to talk about that for just a second because it's too good. Consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He had taken it out and he nailed it to the cross. I'm going to back up for just a second. I got to show you a picture here of a, of a Roman prison. And, and we believe that this is, this is probably where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned when he wrote 
most of the epistles that he wrote. This is today what it kind of looks like in a Roman prison. But I wanted you to see just a picture. Just that one is fine. Uh, a picture of that. Uh, oh, yeah, here would be like an inside uh, a depiction of, of what that might have looked like. And it's, of course, been spruced up since then because people go there and visit. And it's touristy now. But, but uh, he would have been in a prison like that. But I want you to catch this. When, when Paul says the written code got canceled. He's a prisoner, and he understands what the written code is. The written code is a thing that Romans would put on the jail cell of, uh, 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 to the front. They would affix it to the jail cell, and it would have the charges against you listed on it and the penance for those charges. They would be listed on there. They would say, this guy is a thief, and he owes X amount of dollars, and he is not being released until that or this amount of time. And your charges would be there. It's the written code. And so Paul says, there was a written code against your life. And it had the charges of what you did. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, he canceled the written code that was against your life. The charges and the consequences for your decisions. He canceled it. Now here's what you have to understand. And we're going to bring this to, we're almost there. When the, the charges were canceled, when someone had served their time, When someone had paid their fine and they were getting out of prison, there was a thing, a legal sentence, a statement that the Roman guard would come to your written code and he would stamp it with this phrase. The phrase was to tell us die. And that phrase meant it's been paid in full or your your time of serving is finished. Right. Here's why this makes sense, because John writes in his gospel that Jesus is on the cross. John is close by. He's heard, hey, take care of my mom. Jesus says, I'm thirsty, and he watches them give him wine vinegar. And then Jesus stretches out his arm, and he says something. He says, it is finished. To tell us die. Jesus says, your life. Your destiny, your eternity has been paid in full. John wants us to understand that's who Jesus is. That's the story. That's the truth. That's what he saw, and that's what he heard, and that's what was paid. There was an actual body. That was broken for you. It hung on the cross and it uttered the words. It is finished. It's been paid in full. He canceled the written code. So that you don't have to be a slave to the darkness. But you can live and embrace the light. I don't know about you, but that is stinking good news. And that is what we believe. We believe what John said. That that's who Jesus is. And that today, today, we can say, hey, I agree with you. I was dead in my sins. There's been darkness, but I'm not going to hold on to that. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's how we're going to close the service today. It's a communion Sunday. What is communion? Communion's when we remember what Jesus did. It seems appropriate as we walk through the first part of the book of 1 John that we remember what he actually did, that he actually went to the cross, that he actually paid for our sin, that he actually went through that. Now, some of you may be kind of new with us and may be wondering, can I take communion here? Um, yes. There's not a membership requirement. You can take communion with us. And here's how we're going to do it today. We don't always do it the same way. And so uh, if this is new to you, um, just look at somebody else's paper and follow along. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass out those elements. And and then the worship team is going to play. I'm going to invite you to worship and take. You're going to take a juice and a cup, uh, a juice that's inside of a cup, and then a wafer. And you're just going to hold those. And we're going to worship together. And while we worship, my invitation to you is to pray that scary prayer that says, God, you have permission to examine my heart. And if there's any darkness in there, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to confess. You call it darkness, I call it darkness.
Jesus. You call it sin, I call it sin. You call it rebellion, I'm going to call it rebellion. And then I'm going to come up and we're going to pray together and we're going to take the communion and then the worship team's going to kind of play us out of here and we're going to take just a little bit of time to do this, okay? And that's how we're going to close today. And then next week you're going to come back and you're going to get on your phone and text everybody who missed and be like, you got to listen to the podcast and catch up and read First John and be ready because we're going to dive in and we're going to go deep and we're going to spend some time with this elder statesman sharing with us about what it was like to live with Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then the ushers are going to pass this out and we're going to worship God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son. And in this moment, we just want to be sensitive and honest and vulnerable. God, we understand what John said, that you're light. In that light, there's no darkness. So we want to invite you in to examine us in Jesus' name. Amen. They're going to pass those out. If you want to stand as we worship, you can stand. opportunity here to be transparent that we're not necessarily comfortable always being this transparent 
sadly, we're not comfortable, thank you, always being this transparent in church. It's a very foreign thing to do. And so here's how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that we can be honest. That we would allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And that's come and cohabitate in our hearts. And that whatever those things are that we need to confess and agree with God on, that we would do that this morning. So what I'd like you to do is first just hold the wafer. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to take and eat that and then we'll do the juice. God, I recognize that you came in the flesh and you did that to conquer the flesh. So that you could connect with us, though we struggle in the flesh. We would not have a high priest that couldn't understand our struggles. You paid the price. You did it. And so we say thanks. God, I give you permission to examine my heart. We want you to examine our hearts. We want to invite light into those places that we've kept dark. Those places where we've been in denial. Those places we've been hidden. Whatever it is, I don't want to be a liar anymore. I receive John's not so gentle but true rebuke that that's dishonest. I don't want to be dishonest before you, God. So you have permission. I agree. Whatever it is, I agree. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. You can break and eat that. John tells us it's the blood that purifies the blood that paid the price, the blood that was spilled. That's the thing. It all came down to this. It wasn't us, and it's not us, and it's not because we deserve it. It's because you decided. You first loved us. So my prayer is that as a simple outward expression of us loving you back, because when there's hidden stuff, the things that go are the intimate things, worship, prayer, Things like this, communion, being transparent. So today, this morning, we don't just say the words, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We invite the presence of your Spirit into our lives to be with us. We say, God, have your way. We trust you. It's better, it's harder to do it and lie anyways. Rather, just be honest. So we'll do that instead. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. You can drink that. Two things. We're going we're gonna to close in just a moment here. We're going to continue to worship for just a second. But after I close, there will be prayer teams that come forward. And if there's specific things you need some prayer support with, that will be available to you up here in the front. But here's my heart for you. Would you, as we kind of sing this through one more time, now that we've been honest with God, And we have restored connection with the light because we don't have darkness that we're walking in alongside of that. Would you, however you feel comfortable, whether it's stand, whether it's lift your hands, whether it's just lift your voice, would you worship God the way John says later in John 4 we need to do in spirit and in truth, an authentic conversation with the God of the universe. Amen. Tasted and seen.
But I want to live in that freedom that God provides. I don't want to be trying to do both things. And so my encouragement for you this week, be free. Be honest. God can handle those places that we think he can't handle. It'll change your life and your destiny. We love you. I'm sorry it took us a few minutes long. and I know the game's on. So I... Uh, I, I was gifted this right before I walked up here, so I got some, some alternate colors on here, so maybe that was just subliminally. I took us a few moments. I'm teasing. We love you guys. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Come back next week. We'll go deeper. We'll go further. Thank you.